Uh, I don't remember what page it's on. I didn't print that part out for you because if you had them. What is it? 850. Thank you, Mr. Paul. So y'all can go ahead and flip there, and it'll be on the slide too, so we'll read it. Um, before we start, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for a new day. We thank you that we can come together this morning. We thank you for friendships that you have given us in this place, uh, for the time that we can spend together. What an encouragement it is to be here on Sunday morning, uh, to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Father, bless us this morning as we look at your word, um, as we look at this Westminster Confession of Faith, as we look at your faith that has been passed down through the ages. Give us wisdom. Open our eyes to see you. Give us ears to hear you. Just bless our time together this morning. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our slog through the Westminster Confession. We're in chapter 4 this morning, which... I mean, I've read this thing before, and then I went to chapter 4, and I was honestly surprised at how short it was um, of creation. But here we are. So we've been, we started out chapter 1 of the Scriptures, chapter 2, God, the Trinity, chapter 3, His eternal decrees, and now chapter 4, His creation. So any questions or anything before we get started here, anything for the last few weeks? Comments? All right, so when I'm talking, feel free to interrupt at any point. You're not going to throw me off. So if you do have questions or need me to repeat something or want to talk about something, just shout it out, all right? Imagine that we're in a smaller room, like an actual Sunday school classroom, and it's more, you know, intimate and that kind of thing, all right? Except for you. Nothing from you. All right, so chapter 4 is of creation. So let's just read paragraph 1. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. All right, so hopefully that sounds familiar to you because it should sound like something. Anybody want to take a guess at what it sounds like? There you go. So it sounds like Genesis chapter 1, because that's where they're taking most of this language from, of creation. As we read that, any immediate questions or comments or anything that stands out? Um, Made of nothing. That's a good one. Yeah, we're going to look at that. All right, so if you've grown up in the church, this should be fairly basic and fairly obvious. Um, the reason I got assigned this chapter is because I'm teaching through Genesis 1 through 11 in men's Bible study and the youth group on Wednesday night. So I've been living with Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4 for the last four or five months. Um, a few things about this, though, right? So the Westminster is taking all of the Bible and teaching us the truths that were drawn out from all the scriptures. So it's not limited just to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2 here when it's talking about creation because it's talking about all of the revelation that God has given throughout the scriptures and what we know about his creation. So a lot of it is taken from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, but it's also taking truths that we see throughout the scriptures that are when, when the prophets and the apostles and all of them are commenting on Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and what it teaches us. Um, and so we see this doctrine of creation. So let's, let's look at this. First, um, Bavnik says that the doctrine of creation affirming the distinction between the creator and his creature is the starting point of true religion. All right? 
you can have no religion without first recognizing that there has to be creation. There have to be a creator and there have to be creatures. All right? Without that, you're kind of gasping at straws. Um, and the Bible, interestingly enough, where does it start? It starts with creation and God. It doesn't start with our sin. It doesn't start with Jesus. It doesn't start with redemption. It doesn't start with the gospel. It doesn't start with so many of those things we think about when we think about Christianity. It starts with, in the beginning, God created. All right? So that's a place we should start lots of times. Um, when we're engaged with conversations with people who, you know, who want to reject Christianity or don't want to believe in God or don't want to believe in any of it, we sh it's, it's oftentimes the easiest place for us to start is the same place the Bible starts, that in the beginning, God. If you look throughout the book of Acts, when Paul is traveling in his missionary journeys, the first place he always goes in any town is the synagogue, right? And he starts with the Jews. He doesn't start talking about creation because the Jews knew this story. And so he starts talking about Jesus and the prophets. But in, in the book of Acts, whenever you see Paul talking to Gentiles, um, specifically you can think of, of Acts in, in Athens, Paul starts with creation. Because there's not that level of assumed knowledge that the Jews had. He always starts here. You know, in, in Athens he looks and they've got these idols to all these different gods and there's one idol to an unknown God and Paul says, this is the God I'm talking about. The God that created all things. He starts at Genesis 1. That's his entry point into, into discussing Christianity. And, and that, so that's a, good, that's a good tool for us. Um, because this doctrine affirms almost everything we believe. All right, so first it talks about, the Westminster talks about Trinitarian creation. So it starts out, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All right, so where do we kind of get this from? Well, Genesis 1, 2, um, Genesis 1, verse 2 says, The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All right, so we're using that, that word spirit there in, in chapter 1, verse 2. Now, I wrote down there, the word spirit can also be translated wind. It can be translated breath. Um, in the Old Testament, it almost always refers to some manifestation of God. All right. So in Genesis 1-2, it's showing us that God is present over all things. He is in control of all things when it uses that language that he's hovering over his creation. Okay. Now, the New Testament authors pick up on this. And they pick up on the fact that Jesus revealed himself to be God. So what's going on here? We believe in one God. Um, but if Jesus is God and God the Father is God, how does this work? So John, the apostle, picks up on it. And in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, this should be familiar to you if you, under, if you know Genesis 1. It should, it should echo something. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. All right? So in the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. All right? So here, we're going through the Scriptures, and we're seeing... Our view of God is being expanded. Our understanding of God is being expand, expanded as He reveals Himself to us. And we see 
that Jesus was present at the creation, was involved in the creation. See this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 as well. He says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Alright, so there again we see Jesus being linked to creation. And so the confession is just taking all of this and putting it together and stating that, that, that the creation was Trinitarian. All right? And then that point again, remember the Westminster Confession is incorporating all of Scripture. All right, so then what does it say? It says what Miss Linda pointed out, that creation is out of nothing. All right? It says, in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things. All right, there's a f fancy Latin phrase there, creatio ex nihilo. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But that's what that means, creation out of nothing. All right, so this was, this was big, guys, when this came on the scene. Um, because most, most religions did not believe this, all right? Most religions, you go back and look at all the pagan religions at the time, they believed that God existed and that matter existed, and they both existed at the same time, and that the gods somehow fashioned this matter. They didn't create it out of nothing. Whereas what the Bible teaches is that in the beginning there was God, and there was nothing else. Nothing else. And He made all things out of nothing. All right, and I've got the scripture references there. I mean, obviously, Genesis 1, 1 through 2. I'm still in Hebrews, so I'll just flip there and read that. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, it was made out of nothing. You can go, again, Acts 17 is one of those places where Paul is talking to the Gentiles, and he says that God made the heavens and the earth. He made all things, all right? Again, talking to a whole bunch of people who believe there was a sun god and a moon god and a you know, sea god and all these other different gods, and Paul is saying, no, there is one god, and he created all things, and he created it out of nothing. There is no competing power, okay? There was nothing other than God when he made all things. So that's what we've been, I've been drilling into the youth group kids on Wednesday night because I want them to hear this over and over and over again in their heads for their entire life, is that in the beginning there was God, full stop. There was nothing else. And then he made all things out of nothing, all right? So how did he make all things out of, well, what a, you know what, sometimes I mess up. I mess up lots of times. We're going to go to this second point first. He made it by the power of his word, okay? Now, interestingly enough, and I don't know why this is the case, but maybe Tyler knows, um, they don't actually put this in the confession. So in the paragraph one, if you look at it, it doesn't actually mention creation by his word. I don't know why they did that. But if you go to the shorter catechism and the longer catechism, question 15 and question 9, it specifically says it in the answers to those catechism questions. So obviously they believe this, they affirm this. I don't know why they left it out of um, paragraph one. But we believe that he created all things out of nothing by the power of his word. Meaning he did what? He spoke and it happened. God said, right? That's the continual refrain of Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Right? He spoke by the power of his word. All right? And we have to affirm that. And what does that mean for us? What do we believe this is? His word. So if God's word is powerful enough to create all things out of nothing, then when he speaks, we should probably listen. That's, that's, a, that's a good rule of thumb. All right? I mean, this is what we believe, guys. 
This is what we're saying. I mean, it's why we're going through all this, to say this is what we believe. We believe that in the beginning there was God, there was nothing else, that he made all things out of nothing. How did he do it? By speaking. And then this book is given to us that is his words for us to follow and to listen and to know him. All right? So he created by the power of his word out of nothing. Then he did it for his glory. The confession says he did it for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. All right? Notice why he did not do it. He did not do it because he was lonely or needed anything. God wasn't sitting there. There wasn't even space, so he can't even be sitting in the vacuum of space because space didn't exist. All right? So wherever he is, he wasn't sitting there thinking, you know, I'm bored. I'm lonely. It'd really be nice to have some creatures I could interact with. That would make my life better or happier. None of that was going through his mind. When we read, you go back and read chapter 2 where it lists the attributes of God. He was perfect by himself. So why did he create? He created for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. Okay? It was his own free choice to do this. He didn't create because he needed anything. All right? So we read some of these passages. I ought to have you all reading these passages so you all can look them up better. Somebody go ahead and go to Psalm 104 while I'm going to Romans 120. I'll pull the bill ready and make you all read. So Romans 1.20 says, and this is, you know, Paul right before he starts talking about, or during the middle of he's talking about the wrath of God for people rejecting who God is. He says, for his invisible attributes, talking about God, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Creation brings knowledge of God. If you sit and you think about it long enough, right, you ask these questions long enough, you know, you, you use the example of your kids all the time. If they ask you those, you know, they start asking those questions. Why is the sky blue? And eventually, you get back to, well, because that's the way God made it. I don't have any other answer. At some point, I get back to this. Any question that we ask long enough, we get back to, well, there has to be some reason for this. All right? Anybody that's honest with themselves and starts asking these questions, you get back to this point. All right? Even the most atheistic scientist at some point has to get back to, I don't know where it came from. Right? And so what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 is that through the very act of creation, we have knowledge that there is a God that made all of this. Okay? Now somebody read Psalm 104, verse 24 and 33. O Lord, how manifold are your works, and wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your secrets. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have breath. Okay, so we see there, Psalm 104 is basically uh, Genesis 1 and 2 in poetry form. So if you read Psalm 104, it is a psalm to praise God for His acts of creation, to praise Him for the glory that is due to Him as the creator and sustainer of all things. And so Psalm 104 is a reflection of this fact that it pleased God for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. And Psalm 104 reflects that. Ah, welcome back, Mr. Jenkins. So many jokes to be made, Paul. So many jokes to be made. All right. 
Moving on. All right, so creation in the space of six days is what it says. All right, what does that mean? Um, that's a good question, whoever asked it. So first, let me say this, and anybody that wants to fight with me about this later can fight with me about it later. The nature of the six days and the length of the creation period are not the main interest of Genesis chapter 1. So if you pick up Genesis chapter 1 and you read it, and from it you take, well, this is telling me absolutely the main thing that this is telling me is how God created the world and that he did it in six 24-hour days. That, that may be true, but that's not what Moses is trying to communicate in Genesis chapter 1. What Moses is trying to communicate in Genesis chapter 1 is what we already talked about, that God created all things out of nothing by the power of his word. And Moses is writing this to the Israelites as they're being about to go into the promised land and live amongst a whole bunch of people who do not believe any of that, who believe in a sun God and a moon God and a star God and a river God, and they came out of Egypt and they believed in all of these things. And so Moses is communicating to the Israelites, he's communicating to us that God is over all of that. Why would you worship a sun God when God made the sun? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, That's the point of Genesis chapter 1. Now, Genesis chapter 1 talks about six days. Day one, this happened. Day two, this happened. Day three, this happened. And the Westminster says, so that he did this in the space of six days. Now, so we see here, throughout church history, the church has wrestled with this. Primarily, they've wrestled with the implications of the existence of light before day four. Okay? We've read this so often that most of the time we don't even see this because we've read it so much. But day four is when God presumably makes the sun, which means that on day one, two, and three... There was no sun. So how do we have 24-hour solar days if there was no sun? I, this is a question that's racked the church from the beginning. All right, St. Augustine himself didn't believe in literal six-day creation. Now, again, I, do not hear what I am not saying. I am not saying that God did not make the earth in six literal 24-hour days. He is God. He can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And I got no beef with it, okay? <laughs> what I'm just telling you, though, is... Is this what Genesis 1 teaches? Absolutely. I don't know the answer to that question. I think anybody that tells you they do know the answer to that question is a bit presumptuous. Calvin used in the space of six days, so that's the language John Calvin uses in his commentary on the book of Genesis. And in that commentary, he uses it to counter St. Augustine's instantaneous creation view. All right, so we know that Augustine did not believe in six literal 24-hour days. He believed more in kind of like a, I don't know, I'm not even going to try to explain it, but just trust me, he didn't believe in six literal 24-hour days. Calvin rejected St. Augustine's view, which of course everybody was paying attention to St. Augustine, everybody still pays attention to St. Augustine to a large part, Catholics and Protestants, okay? Augustine's like the big guy that people read and listen to. And so Calvin is rejecting that view, and he says, in the space of six days. The question is, is when Calvin said, in the space of six days, did he mean... 24 literal days, or 24-hour days, probably, okay? So the Westminster Divines, they use Calvin's language in the space of six days, all right? Now, there has continued to be great debate, all right? So, what did I say? What did I write here? Just as people debate the length of days in the Bible, people debate the meaning of the phrase in the space of six days, all right? Does it mean six 24-hour days, or is it simply using biblical language to describe whatever the Bible is describing when the Bible says day? All right? I got no idea. 
If you are interested in all of this, which you should be, because we're trying to figure out who God is and what God did, here is a document prepared by the PCA. It's quite lengthy. Um, you can find it if you Google PCA Report of the Creation Study Committee. That's what this is. This was released in the early 2000s. I don't remember the exact year. Um, and it lays out the different views that are acceptable within the PCA. All right, so, you know, Tyler has talked, we've talked about the Westminster Confession, that all of our elders and deacons and ministers have to affirm the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so this, this document gives views that our ministers and our elders and our deacons can have regarding what in the space of six days means. Okay? And so if you're interested in that, you can go look at that. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. I've been looking at it until my eyes are about to bleed with it. Okay? Uh, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. it to me, it's just fascinating, um, the conversations that are had, the different views that are out there. But that document talks about these are the views that are orthodox within the PCA that are acceptable. Now, I will tell you, there are certain presbyteries within the PCA, because presbyteries can kind of set their own rules. There are certain presbyteries who say, no, you have to believe in six 24-hour periods, or you cannot be ordained in this presbytery. So that does exist within the PCA. So there's, there's room for disagreement here, all right? Any questions? It's actually said. Just a little bit. Order is a huge part of it. That's exactly right. Um, order is a big part of it. All right? So I'm just going to leave that hanging again. I, guys, I promise you, when Tyler and I tell you this, Mike and Bill tell you this, it pleases us probably more than anything in the world for somebody to ask us a question about this stuff, for somebody to say, let's go get coffee and talk about this. Or it, I promise you, we love doing this stuff. We love talking about it. You are never bothering us if you want to come ask us a question. All right, I just, I just want to lay that out there. All right, lastly, the confession confirms creation was very good. All right, so we all know this. In the end of Genesis chapter 1, um, it says at the end of his creation, God said, it, he says throughout it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. At the end of the creation, he says it was very good. All right, so what does that mean? It means um, what it says there, that it's pleasing, that it's delightful. That when God created all things by the power of his word, at the end of his creative act, he delighted in it. Okay? He delighted in it. He continues to delight in his creation. All right? All right, paragraph two, creation of humans. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, right, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it. And yet, under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject unto change. 
Beside this law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. All right. So what are we, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about, I have no idea why that popped up first. But y'all just ignore it for now. All right, creation of humans. So the creation of human beings is the climax of the creation account. In creating earth, God has made the ideal place for humans to live. This was the point. Okay? The point of creation for His glory was to create us so that we could glorify Him. Okay? We cannot miss that. We have a very high view of humanity as Christians. A very high view a higher view than any other religion, okay? Because we believe that God set all of this up for us, all right? He made us male and female. Genesis 1.27, we see this, all right? The first thing, I've left out a word there, the first thing that was not good in God's creation was that man was alone, all right? So we know in Genesis chapter 2, we're still on day 6 of the creation, because if, Gen- if God says something is not good, that means we haven't gotten to the very good yet of the end of day six. All right? So again, whatever those six days are, we're still in day six in chapter two. We're zooming in on the creation of human beings. And the first thing that God says is not good is the fact that man was alone. Okay? Now, helper in Genesis 2.18 is a word that usually refers to God providing divine assistance. So throughout the Old Testament, whenever you see the word helper, almost always it is referring to God Himself providing assistance to His people. This is not a derogatory term. This is not a term that, provide, that, that says something about less worth for women. Okay? I think it's a pretty high compliment to be referred to as a phrase that refers to God bringing help. Okay? And that's what that word means. It means... That it's not a term of worth, but it's about roles. We are different. I think we can all acknowledge that. We are different, okay? Um, And so God says it was not good for man to be alone, and so he made woman. All right? How did he make them? He made them worse with immortal souls. All right? So Genesis 2, 7 is when God breathes into them the breath of life. He doesn't do that to any other creature. The rest of the creatures he just creates and sets them about their business. But when he creates man... He breathes into him to give him the breath of life. That passage in Matthew is where Jesus says, fear those who can kill both the body and the soul. All right, so he's talking about the souls. All right, in his image, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, is how God says that he has created us. What does this mean? Okay, I mean, this is, our, this is what we think. All right, we don't exactly know. There's, this is another one of those where there's been thousands of years of debate on what it means to be made in the image of God. We think it means two senses, a broad sense that man has reason, will, and relationships as God does. This is something that we all experience as human beings, right? We have reason, we have will, we have a conscience, we're involved in relationships the same way God is all of these things, right? And then also in this narrow sense that man's abilities are in harmony with God's own purity and wisdom, original righteousness. When we were made in the image of God, we were good to go. We were with God. There was nothing impeding our relationship. All right, now we're going to see, is it chapter 5? No, chapter 6 maybe? Yep, chapter 6 of the fall of man and sin and the punishment thereof. We're not going to stay here. All right, we're going to lose this part of the image. This part of the image is going to be broken in the narrow sense when we sin. Okay, we are still in the image of God. 
Every single one of us, when we are created, when we are made, when we are born, even before we are born, we are in the image of God. The thing I've been telling the students over and over again is this is why we believe that all human beings are worthy of dignity and respect. Every single one of them. Because they are made in the image of God. Right? This is why all, most of the sins we can think of are wrong because they're treating someone else like an object and not like an image bearer. I mean, run through the list of the Ten Commandments. Murder. You're not respecting the image of God. Adultery. You're treating someone like an object, not like an image bearer. Right? All of them come from us not recognizing the image of God in another human being. Okay? Um, and yet, so we still have this image, even though we're going to see in chapter 6 that we believe that it's broken now and it's got to be fixed. All right. Part of this image is that we exercise dominion. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He tells us to be fruitful and multiply, sub- fill the earth and subdue it, exercise dominion over it. Man was made to represent God and his activity of ruling the world on God's behalf. Why God put us here. We are God's representative. We are to do the work of creation that God was doing. Okay? We are to exercise dominion. We still do this. We do it poorly because of our sin, but we still do this. All right? Another part of our image bearing is that we are in communion with God. We are relational beings. We are only fully human when we are in a right relationship with our Creator. And it says this, that while they kept the commandment, they were happy in their communion with God. All right? That's what we were made for. Remember, after they eat from the fruit, what does it say God did? He came and He walked in the garden with them in the cool of the day. He made us to be with us. And He made us to be with Him. The law of God is written on their hearts. We're not going to go to Romans because we're running out of time, but there's the Scripture passage there. All right, so it says this language, yet under a possibility of transgressing. What in the world does that mean? All right, so again, we're talking pre-fall here. Sin is not in the world. How were we made when we were made in the image of God? We were made able not to sin, but capable of sinning. That's what that, that's what that, that's what that yet under a possibility of transgressing means. So we were able not to sin, but we were capable of sinning. And we all know how the story goes. All right, I don't think I'm, there's not a spoiler alert here. All right, we sin. That's what we do. That's what Adam and Eve did. Now, after the fall, we're going to see this phrase does not apply anymore. The phrase now is we are incapable of not sinning. We're broken, but we weren't made like this. This is not what God intended us for. We're intended to be like that. Okay. And because of this, or part of this, the reason we're capable of sinning is because God gives us a prohibition. We all know the prohibition. You you can eat of every tree of the garden except for the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat of it, what will happen? You will surely die. Right? So God gives this prohibition in the garden when he makes us. All right, now notice... The, the confession doesn't say this, but because I've been teaching Genesis, I want to point this out. He doesn't give the prohibition until he's given abundant provision. The prohibition comes in the midst of God saying, I have given you everything that you need. Everything that you need. There is nothing that you lack. 
You have a perfect relationship with me. Man is not alone anymore. Male and female are together. They have every tree in the garden. They have all these creatures. They've been told to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over it. They have been set up to accomplish all of that perfectly because that's how God made them. Okay? God is not being stingy. And God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and say, all right, make this garden beautiful and then I'll provide you with everything. He didn't tell them to work and have to earn anything. He just gave it to them. Gave it all to them. And then he says, don't eat from this tree. Why did he say that? I do not know. None of us know. But he said it. And what did we say earlier? When he speaks, we should listen. For the wages of sin is death. That's what he says. That's the prohibition. But notice again, guys, that it comes only after this abundant provision of our God who loves us. All right, and think about this. No matter what you have done, no matter your sin, no matter how many times you've rejected him, no matter how many times you've said, God, I don't really love you. I definitely don't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I really don't love my neighbor as myself. God delights in you. He called his creation very good. He delights in you. You're made in his image. And he wants you to be restored to this. It's what he made us for. We're the ones that rejected him. He didn't reject us. He didn't kick us out of the garden just because he made us for that. And in Jesus Christ, he's renewing that. All right. So this is all in the, but I want to read this from John chapter 20, because I want you all to see this full picture. And I know this is not part of the Westminster Confession on Creation, but whatever. John chapter 20, this is after his resurrection. Jesus is with his apostles. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What do you hear there? He breathed on them. He's restoring them to what they were meant to be. When God breathed into us and gave us the breath of life, here's Jesus when His work is finished and He's breathing on us the Holy Spirit to make us the way we were supposed to be. We can only be fully human in Jesus Christ. And all the, the prohibitions, we think about the prohibitions, we think, well, why does God tell us we can't do this stuff? Why does He give us all these laws? Why does He give us all these rules? The purpose of the rules is so we can be fully human, so that we can have a life that flourishes. Because we all know that when we break God's rules, our lives do not flourish. Because that's not what we were made to do. So by following His commands, we're being the people He made us from the beginning to be. To have knowledge, to have reason, to have righteousness, to be in communion with God, and to be in communion with others. That's what we were made for. All right, so that's what the Westminster Confession teaches us about creation. Questions, comments, cries of anguish, snide remarks? Nothing. Yes, sir, Mr. Larry. Yeah. And the answer is because they were 
Yeah, because they look at creation, and then right there, when Paul says in Romans, the law of God's written on their hearts, right? They have a conscience. They, all people everywhere know that they've done wrong because of creation, because God made us, right? In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. We know. Yep. All right. Again, please, please, please hear us. Please come talk to us. Please ask us questions. We want you guys to love God and love His Word. All right? That's what we want. That's why we're doing all this, that we know who He is and we have a greater understanding and we, can, we will never know all of this. We will never begin to understand all of it, ever. And so we just read it and we study it. Why? Because this is how God speaks to us. This is how we know Him. All right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You are restoring us to what You created us to be. Help us to see all people as being made in Your image. Help us to be gracious and merciful to them as you were gracious and merciful to us. Father, prepare our hearts for this morning as we come into your presence, as you call us to worship you. Help us to come with joy, help us to come with gratitude. Father, we pray that your spirit would work in our midst this morning, that you would bring confession and repentance where they are needed, that you would bring assurance of forgiveness where it is needed, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring hope, that you would draw us to you. Bless us, Jesus. We ask these prayers in your name. Amen.